the angel told Joseph that Mary's child would be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Luke 19, we read that Jesus' purpose to come earth was to seek and to save. We go all the way to 1 Timothy 3.15 and we read that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then in 1 John 4, it says that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. This was Jesus' purpose. This is why Jesus existed on this earth. Why He spent 33-odd years uh, on this earth to come to the world, to rescue the world from sin, and to reconcile them back to God. Matthew 4.12, where we begin, begins the account of Jesus' earthly ministry. Everything that we've read up to this point has really prepared us for this moment. We've, there's a phase. There's actually many, many Bible scholars would say that Matthew can be divided into three, three main sections, and Matthew 4.12 is the beginning of this second main section as Jesus officially begins His ministry. And that ministry or that mission is to spread light into the darkness. As, as it said there, it quotes from Isaiah. Another quote yet again from Isaiah. But I want to notice this morning how Jesus began that mission. And really, it, sum, it summarizes not just how He began the mission, but really how He carried on His entire mission of three and a half years. Uh, three ways. The first way we see is that Jesus accomplished His ministry or His mission by shining light into the darkness. If you look back in verse number 12 there, it says, When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, He departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulon and Nephilim. This is another way of saying the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, and it says in verse 14, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. This is a passage from Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2. You're not probably too familiar with Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, but you are familiar with a verse a little bit later on that uh, it talks, it's a little bit more commonly used at Christmas time, and we won't take some time, we won't take the time to look at that because he pretty much quotes it up there. But he's not necessarily quoting word for word, but pulling out. That's why if you read verse number 15, it doesn't really sound like there's a sentence there. It's just like he's he's shooting out facts at us, and that's because he took these these little phrases from uh, the from the the, the beginning of, of Isaiah's prophecy there, and to point out, and he sees that there is a messianic parallel here. Uh, between what Isaiah talked about and what Jesus is doing. Verse 12 begins here with the news that John the Baptist had been arrested. We really didn't even get to read much about John. He just started and now all of a sudden he's in prison. You read uh, uh, up in Matthew 14, you'll find out a little bit about what happened. John had angered King Herod uh, for calling him out on his sin. King Herod had taken his brother's wife to be his own wife. And uh, through this immorality, John uh, John uh, exposed it or called him out on it, and it angered King Herod. And Herod had him cast into prison for this. Later on, uh, Herod would behead him, uh, and it would be the same time he was in prison. When this news of John's arrest reached Jesus, Matthew wrote that Jesus moved from Nazareth uh, to Capernaum, which is in Galilee. If you can picture your Bible map, or if you have one in the back there, you see the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is on the north uh, west coast there 
of, of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. Traveling from Nazareth there, he would have been moving northeast to get to this new place. There's a lot of different reasons why, none of, uh, not the least of which is that it fulfills another messianic prophecy that he would have his ministry and he would, uh, he would uh, spread light, he would begin his ministry in this area of Galilee. Now, according to John, the Gospel of John, uh, we, we can uh, deduce that Jesus had been doing some other ministry for at least a year. We don't necessarily begin the first year of Jesus' ministry in this passage. As we read all four of the Gospels, we call them the harmony of all four Gospels as you put them together. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite, ne- uh, quite probable that we're about a year into Jesus' year, uh, three and a half year ministry, although Matthew picks it up at this point. And as I said before, it's very important that we notice these things and why Matthew only includes certain aspects of his ministry and not others. What's the reason behind what Matthew is trying to tell us there? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but uh, Matthew begins his account of Jesus' ministry here, recognizing that his move to Capernaum coincides with Isaiah's prophecies in, ch- in, uh, in chapter 9. And as I said there, Isaiah prophesied that people who dwell in darkness or sat in darkness had seen a great light. He's talking about the captivity once again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most of his prophecies had to do with uh, the, uh, the Babylonian captivity and how they were taken away. And remember we talked about how, how Rachel was crying for her children, weeping for her children, and, and describing uh, the, the, the feel of the land as the, as the, the children are taken away into captivity. And here it's they're sitting in darkness, and 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 this was the area that was uh, pretty much overrun by Gentiles, and it should have been the the promised land, the land for the Jews, and yet it had been overrun with Gentiles for uh, for many many years. And Matthew uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah, who is describing them as people who sit in darkness, and he's describing the Messiah as coming to these people who sit in darkness as uh, bringing them a great light. Uh, this is why both Jesus and the Apostle John use this idea of light to describe the Messiah. Read John chapter 1 and and different passages where Jesus spoke about Him being the light of the world because Jesus, who is the light, enters the darkness and offers men a way out of the darkness and back to God. Matthew understood that Jesus' ministry on earth was like light invading the darkness. Jesus would do much of His ministry here in Galilee reaching people with the light of the Gospel. And Matthew tells us here that Jesus continued preaching the same message that John himself preached. Back in chapter 3 and verse 2, we read what John's message was, very short and sweet, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says the exact same thing there in verse, uh, in verse number uh, 17 there. From that time, Jesus began to preach uh, with the same message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, though Jesus and John were very different men, uh, we read about John's appearance, uh, we read about John's behavior, we read about John's background, and Jesus was very, very different. In fact, at one point, Jesus would say, you know what, John came to you, and you said, oh, he's, uh, he's, uh, um, he, he's, he acts this way, and, then, and, and you, and you kind of belittled him for it, and you, you despised him for it, and then the Son of Man came, and he acted the opposite way, and you despised him for that too. And, and he said, Jesus was pointing out some, some flaws in their, in their thinking here, but one thing was the same between both Jesus and John the Baptist, and that is this message. This message of repent. Change your thinking such that it changes your behavior because the kingdom of heaven is coming. It is imminent, implying that time is short and the chance to repent will not last forever. 
So Jesus picks up this message that John has been, has been preaching, and, and there's likely an overlap between their ministry here, but now uh, it, it's brought out officially that Jesus is preaching this message. So Jesus uh, accomplishes His ministry, firstly, by shining light into darkness. Secondly, we see beginning in verse number 18 and 20, uh, through 22, that He begins His ministry, or He accomplishes His ministry, by calling disciples to follow Him. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He meets four men. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We're very familiar with these guys. You know something I've been, I've been stumped with, and maybe you've already figured it out, but I would like to know if you've already figured it out. Not right now, but maybe later. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Andrew was like one of the very first to be, uh, to be one of Jesus' disciples. And in, in a lot of different settings, we find Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But who were the, the big three of the disciples? You can say that one, right? That was Peter, James, and John. What happened to Andrew? Well, why didn't Andrew get involved in this extra, you know, the extra tier of specialness? Uh, what, what did he do? Did he do something wrong? Was it, was it uh, something that he did that, that we're not included? I just, every time I read this, I think, poor Andrew. I mean, he's the one who brought Peter to Jesus, and he was the one, he was one of the first people to realize that Jesus is the Messiah of these guys, and yet, he, uh, we forget about him and we, we talk about, I don't know if it was his little brother or not, but we talk about his brother, Peter, and uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee here and he, and he, and he encounters these four men here who are fishing and working. Now, uh, there are three passages in the, in the Gospels that are very similar uh, together. One of them is this account right here. And so it's, it's a little bit difficult to timeline these put, and put them together. But I'll do my best. If you disagree, uh, we could talk about that later on, how you see it a little, if you see it a little differently, or maybe expound a little bit on that. But um, he comes to these guys with a very startling statement. I always read this as a kid thinking, you know, what in the world? It's just some stranger walked up to these guys and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they did it. You know, I mean, these are grown men. I mean, these are these are men that have a fishing business, and some stranger walks up and says, "Hey, if you come with me, I'll make you fishers of men." I'm like, that's weird. Why would they even go with this guy? I mean, that's the equivalent. It's the Bible equivalent of someone pulling up in a van and saying, "I have candy." And these guys said, "Oh yeah, sure, let's go." And they left everything. They left their business. We read later on that James and John left their left their father behind. But it's very, it's very probable that this was not the first time that either Andrew or Peter or James and John, for that matter, had met Jesus. I want to take you to John chapter one and show you uh, the second of these uh, three very parallel uh, uh, stories here that uh, try to we have to try to try to understand the timeline a little bit to help us understand what's going on here. But uh, this is, as I said, this is probably not the first time that they met Jesus. Uh, and what we're about to read here in John one, if you look in verse thirty-five probably happened about a year, as much as a year prior to Matthew 4. So John 1 and verse 35 says again, The next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and bowed to them that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. We won't read any more, but we see here that the Apostle John is writing about a time 
when Andrew was actually an apostle, uh, was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. And it mentions another disciple here, and it doesn't give us his name. Many people believe it was actually John, but we don't have any, any verses that tell us that. But uh, John is with his disciples, Andrew and this other guy, and all of a sudden Jesus is walking down, walking past, and John points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, this excites Andrew and his buddy. And so they decide, we want to follow him. We want to go and see where this guy lives. And they follow him. And they're not, they don't walk beside him. They're like lurking, you know? And have you, have you ever anybody follow you before? And it's a little bit weird. And Jesus uh, is 100% human. He's like, guys, what are you doing? You know, why are you, why are you creeping in the shadows? I see you behind that bush, Andrew. And, uh, and Andrew says, well, where do you live? And, and he says, well, come and see. Come and find out. And, and they, they followed him to his home and they spent the day with him. Well, at some point during this, during this event, uh, uh, Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon. And he goes and tells him, hey, we've found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And Simon decides to go and find out for himself and go and meet him for himself. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus does something very unusual. He says, oh, your name's Simon. You're gonna, you're gonna be called Peter. And Cephas there, one is Aramaic and one is Greek there, but he's saying, well, your name is Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. And that's how we know him today. Why do we know Peter is the name Peter? Because Jesus changed his name to that. And uh, there's, there's significance to that later on as we, as we study the Gospels there. But as was already said there, if we go back to uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we try to put that into this situation, this is probably uh, a, a later encounter, uh, and, and Peter's already got his name changed there, and that's why it says Simon called Peter there in verse 18, Matthew 4, 18. He's already got his name changed. They've already met Jesus. It's very likely that they had already believed in Jesus. And uh, Jesus comes to them. Uh, and in terms of this, in, in our, if we were to put it into our terms today, we might say that they were already believers. Or we could say that they were already Christians, even though that term hasn't been used, uh, invented yet. But now we find that Jesus walks up to Peter and Andrew and he makes this statement to them, follow me or come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Later on, he'll, he'll say the same, something similar to James and John. But what he's doing is he's asking them or commanding them to, uh, to a greater commitment. Jesus told them to follow him and promised to make them fishermen of a different kind. They would become fishers of men. And they had already accepted Jesus as Messiah, I believe, uh, become Christ's followers, but now Jesus was calling them to something more specific. Some even believe here that Jesus is calling them into apostleship. One thing for sure, without getting into the, well, it could be this, it could be this, one thing that we do know for sure here is that Jesus called these men to follow Him and promised them that by following Him, He would make them into fishers of men. In other words, Jesus is saying them, by following me or being disciples of me, I will make you men who disciple other people. That's what he's, that's what he's telling them. Follow me, become a disciple of mine, and I will teach you, I will make you into someone who then can disciple another person. Now this is very backwards from the customary practice. In these, in these times, when someone wanted to be another person's disciple, they chose the person that they were going to follow. If I wanted to be someone's disciple, let's say I wanted to be uh, Kim's disciple, I would seek him out and, and, and request to be his disciple. And then he would say, 
well, you know, can you do any electrical work? And, and uh, you know, uh, uh, do you bring a good lunch, you know, because my wife doesn't pack me all my favorite snacks, and so maybe I can get some of yours or whatever it may be. And then he would decide that I could follow him. And there was a lot more to it. But what Jesus does is he reverses this process and seeks his own disciples out. That is why later on in uh, John, uh, John 15, Jesus told his disciples, he says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. He had done the opposite of what normally was done. And, and there's, a, there's a great gospel application there, uh, but we'll move on. This was backwards, as I said, from the customary practice. And, but Jesus had, had, uh, had, had, had changed this for a specific reason. Now, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, the Bible says there that they immediately, uh, I'm reading the wrong verse here, uh, verse number 20, they, they straightway left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they dropped everything and followed They did what Jesus commanded them to do. Hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. And they did. And they followed. A little bit later, he, uh, they, he stops at James and John. I don't know if they were just the next boat down at the next, you know, the next dock or if they were a little bit further down. It says a, a very similar thing. They're mending their nets there. It doesn't tell us what Jesus said, but we can assume that it was something very close to what he told Peter and Andrew. And it says there in verse number 22 that they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. They immediately followed Jesus. No questions asked. They went and did as Jesus told them to do. This is how Jesus accomplishes his mission. Secondly, by calling people to follow. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But the third thing I want to point out to you is in verse 23. And it's that Jesus accomplishes ministry in three, we could say three verbs. Teaching, preaching, and healing. And really, we could summarize his entire ministry with these three activities right here. Teaching, preaching, and Healing. We go to verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. So from here we read that Jesus and his very small group of disciples, I don't think he has all 12 yet, uh, it's possible that he had one or two more than the four that are mentioned. He went throughout all Galilee teaching. This is a very big region. This is, uh, I, I've read several places that if he had visited two cities a day, it would have taken him three months. All right, so he was, he was busy doing this thing right here, uh, vis, uh, doing these three activities. It says firstly that he taught. That means he taught in the synagogues. Uh, that would have, that would be the Jews who gathered to hear him or I gathered to hear the scriptures and to learn from them. And it was a custom that visiting teachers would come in and they would explain the scriptures. And Jesus took advantage of that. But think about that for a moment. Jesus, the Word, right? Who is the Word of God is explaining the scriptures to you. That is why when, uh, later, uh, later on, the, the listeners would comment when he would speak and they would say, this man speaks with an authority that not even the scribes have. That is why when the, the disciples were walking on the Emmaus Road after Jesus had died and resurrected and He appeared to them and they didn't know it was Jesus, but He begins explaining to them from Moses all the way to the present that, it, that, that Christ must die and must be resurrected and all those things. And they said the statement, didn't our hearts burn within us when you when, when He explained the Scriptures to us? Because Jesus explains it like no one else could. You know, have you ever read a book and, and, and thought, I wonder what, the, what they meant behind this and what it... And, but then to have the author, maybe you've never had this, but to have the author come and present it and say, this is what I was thinking when I wrote this. And here's the backstory to this. And here's, here's a little bit of information that you may not have picked up the first time around. To have that 
author's view of, of the writings and to have He who is the Word, He who was from the very beginning at creation until now, is sitting there explaining the Bible to you. And this is incredible. And the Bible says that He did this. He taught them in their synagogues. Next we read that He preached the Gospel of the Kingdom. The word Gospel literally means good news. He preached the good news of the Kingdom. As I said before, this was the same message that John the Baptist preached. And somehow I always get this idea, this impression that John's message is one of doom and gloom. You know, the repent. You know, the the bill, the sandwich boards that we see people wear sometimes on the street. Repent. The, you, know, uh, you know, God is coming. Or repent. The kingdom of heaven is near or whatever. And it's this, this doom and gloom. Uh, uh, you know, hurry up or you're going to be in big trouble. But yet we see that Jesus, who preaches the same message, brings out the good news aspect of it. He brings the, the gospel part of it out. Uh, the, the good tidings of great joy that the angel announced at his birth, all of that great joy was encapsulated in this one man and what he was going to do for, uh, for, uh, for salvation concerning the kingdom of God. And it is good news and it is great joy that God has not forgotten his people and that God has promised for hundreds of years before this, thousands of years even from creation, from the fall, that it was promised that one would come that would deliver men from sin. And it is this man that is standing before us, that is teaching in our synagogues, that is standing on the hillside, that is, that is walking and talking and eating with us, and he's, and he's living life with us. This is the one in whom uh, God has uh, promised all of these things. There's a big part of Jesus' ministry, the third aspect here, to heal people wherever he went. Healing the infirmities of the people. This is a, this was a big part of what is, what would be prophesied about the Messiah. You can read about that in different places, especially in Luke 4, that, uh, his healing was, was another sign that he was the Messiah. But it really, it also just shows us that Jesus cared about people. That he not only cared about our spiritual aspect, but he cared about our physical welfare as well. And he went around and it says that he healed every kind of disease and sickness that he encountered. Everything that they brought to him, nothing was too much for him. Nothing was too difficult for him. I know sometimes we get frustrated. It almost seems like every time we get frustrated when we go to the doctor and we go to the hospital and they say, we don't know what's going on. You think, why don't you know? I mean, we're living in the 21st century. Why haven't you figured this out yet? You haven't encountered this before and you don't know what medicine. Give me a shot. In fact, actually give me a pill because I don't want a needle. Give me something to make this go away. And scientists and doctors still haven't figured out the cure to all of the, the illnesses that we have. But you know what? There was a time in history when anything could be cured at a moment. If you brought, and, and they brought them to Jesus and notice the types of people that it brought really just summarizing all of the, 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 the whole realm of, of, of ailments there. Diverse, verse 24, divers diseases and torments. Those that were possessed with the devils, the, those, uh, uh, demon possessed. Those there, it says that were, were lunatic. It's not, not necessarily crazy people. You know what it really means? It means something to me special. It means people with epilepsy. And I read this several times this week and I thought, you know, that's my son. And, and I, and I prayed several times. Say, God, would you heal him? You did it here. I want, I want it, I want it for me too. Uh, because I know that he can. And then it says there that those that had the palsy, the paralyzed, everybody, everybody that came to him and it summarizes at the very end of verse 24, he healed them. It wasn't like, whew, I better take my jacket off for this one. This is going to be tough. Let me think about that one for a moment. Let me try this. Let me try. You know how we say that doctors practice medicine? Jesus didn't practice anything. He just did it. He could do it with a word. He could do it when he was present with the person or when they were in another town over. He said, go home. Your daughter's already healed. And they were because he is the word that he is the, he is very God in human flesh. And he is the one who heals their diseases physically as well as spiritually. 
And at this point, it would seem, as we read the end of verse, or we read verse 25, they're followed in great multitudes of people. And it would seem that at this point, Jesus is off to a very good start in his ministry, right? It seems that he might even reach the whole world with his message and preach the gospel to every man and every woman. At this point, it certainly looks like Jesus is going to end up with a huge crowd of followers and reap a great harvest during his lifetime. But if you read the rest of the story, you know that crowd is going to go away. Many of the people who say they follow him are going to turn on him. Many of them who follow will be gone one day. The multitudes will disappear. And he would even get to a point at one time in John 6, where Jesus would look at his own disciples after everybody had left him, after he had said some very hard things for them to understand. And he looked at the, the twelve who had followed him and he said, are, are you also going to go away? Are you also going to leave? Everybody else has. And of course, Peter speaks up and, and speaks some very powerful words there about no, where else are we going to go? You're, you're the Christ. But we see that his, his followers would ebb and flow like the tide. They would come and they would go with the miracles or with the, with how the teaching was. But at this point, I want you to understand that Jesus, uh, Jesus has accomplished or is setting out to accomplish two objectives. Okay. Number one is that he reaches out to people who will follow. That's what Jesus is doing. Regardless of the results, Jesus is reaching out to people who will follow him. And we're going to read, as you've already read, if you read the Gospels, you read the book of Acts, you read, uh, that Jesus is going to gather a very eclectic group of people. Very mixed, very unexpected group of followers. He reaches the religious, the moral, and the good. But he also reaches the sinners. Murderers. The very worst of society. He'll call Jews to Himself who worship the one true God, but He'll also gather Gentiles who don't share that same spiritual pedigree. There will be those in the crowd who are educated, wealthy, and respected. There are, there are also those among them who are the poor and the marginalized. Jesus is going to be accused of being the friend of sinners. They'll call Him that like it's an insult, and yet He'll wear it like a badge of honor. He will delight in showing compassion to the forgotten and to the ignored. As we read, He will love the least of these. When the rich and the respected reject Him, He'll go out into the highways and the hedges and find followers. Though the size of Jesus' crowd will at times reach great numbers, multitudes, thousands, think about feeding the 5,000, there were 5,000 people who were interested in hearing what he had to say. And then at other times, there was 12. At one point, he was all alone. When even his own disciples forsook him in the garden. And he was standing before Pilate on his own. But as we learn from studying Scripture, this statement I want, I want you to get. I want you to take home with you this statement. Not all who follow Jesus are his disciples but all who are His disciples follow. Not all who follow Jesus are His disciples, but all who are His disciples follow. second objective that Jesus is accomplishing here is that He is not only reaching out to people to follow Him, but then He takes those followers and trains them to disciple other people. Jesus knew that His time on earth would not last forever and that His ministry would not end with the people of His generation. He had a mission that would span the rest of time that even reaches to us today. 
And to do this, then he would need people to carry on that message. Followers who had learned from him and then would perpetuate his ministry. And so he trained his followers, his disciples, to reach other people and to disciple them. They in turn would reach others and disciple them who would in turn reach others and disciple them and it lasts until us. And we are responsible for the same activity to reach others, disciple them. And should the Lord tarry for another thousand years, this is the plan to reach others and to disciple them. This is what Jesus meant when He told Peter and Andrew, I will make you fishers of men. He said He would teach them and He would train them, but not just to be disciples, to be disciple makers. Tonight, we'll come back and look at this. Those of you who are back tonight, we're going to look at the second point a little bit. But I want to come back to this first point and really just get the gravity of, of the statement. Not all who follow Jesus are His disciples, but all who are Jesus' disciples follow. Jesus said in John 10.27, My sheep, hear my, uh, they know My voice, and they follow Me. Jesus said those who are His sheep follow Him. You know, being a Christian means following Jesus. It's more than showing up to church every once in a while. It's even more than showing up to church every Sunday or you can come to church every day of the week. It's more than that. It's more than just being at a place. It's following His message. It's learning from Him and being different because of Him. That's the message of repentance. That's the message He preached. Turn from your one way of thinking to another. As I explained a few weeks ago, that true repentance reveals itself in a change of behavior. Repentance simply is a change of thinking, a change of mind, but it reveals itself in a change of behavior, and that's what the message that Jesus carried out. If you truly repent, you will change one way of going and you will follow me. And that's what he's, and that is what he's bringing out to the disciples here. As a true repentant believer, I turn from doing my own thing to following Christ. As chapter 4 comes to a close, and Jesus' ministry is off and running now, we get into chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, and we just we find ourselves dropped right into the middle of His sermon here. We see that the light of the world has now invaded the darkness. And he calls people to repent and to follow Him. Through God's Spirit, He still calls men and women with the same message today. The question for you and for me is, am I following? The question we must ask ourselves, the question I asked myself as I read through this, the question I hope you'll ask yourself a hundred times this week, please follow. Am I following Jesus?